Alrighty, good morning, Grace Community Church. Is there anyone there out there excited about anything? It could be about Jesus. It could be the Alcar County Fair. Is anyone remotely excited about anything? Just curious. Okay, there's seven crazy people in the front row. That is great. That is awesome. Well, it's good to see you this morning. My name is Dan, and I have the privilege of serving as youth pastor here at Grace Community Church. Uh, this past week, uh, we took over 100 teens and adults uh, to a conference called the Momentum Youth Conference. It's at Marion, Indiana, at Indiana Wesleyan, and uh, we had an awesome time. Uh, we saw five teens make a first-time decision for Jesus, 22 teens rededicate their lives to the Lord. A lot of teens gave up a lot of different things, some serious uh, things that are holding them bonded, some sin issues. And, uh, Saturday, uh, we went to Noblesville, Indiana, and we loved on people, prayed for people, encouraged people, uh, picked up trash, did anything we could be a blessing. God really worked. And I want to say thank you uh, because we, uh, some, some of you guys might have like bought a pizza from our teens with this flour, vegetable sale that you guys, you know, maybe bought something from. Uh, you, I had all kinds of people texting me and Facebook. We say, hey, I'm praying for, for the teens there. And so thank you for, for, for doing that. Uh, so glad that I'm part of a church that cares about the next generation. I call them generation now. And so thanks for doing that. It, it, God did some really, really cool things uh, through that. Uh, we'll be doing this lesson series. It's entitled Family. Familyhood. We've been talking about different family dynamics and uh, things that, that go on in the family and talking about how we can uh, do things in a godly fashion. How can we have a, a godly, gospel-centered uh, family structure? So I thought real quickly, if it's okay with you guys, I'd love to share real briefly a little bit about my family. You know, so many people think that like, I guess spontaneously regenerated here in Goshen, that like I have no family background. Believe it or not, I do have a family. So I'm going to share with those, and I'm going to talk a little bit about our family dynamics, and uh, we're going to do something fun. So so feel free to like point at someone if they, if you believe that this you know family dynamic uh, pertains to them. Well, anyway, here's a picture of my family. Um, you know, I was born and raised into. Uh, this is from Thanksgiving. Uh, my father, Joe Costantino, is a second generation Italian. Uh, his dad, my grandfather, was born in Italy. And uh, my, my father was the first one in his entire family to come to know Jesus. Uh, he was a senior at Ohio University, and uh, he found the Lord. Uh, met my mother at a Bible study uh, in the Pittsburgh area. Uh, felt called to go into full-time ministry. He's planted a church in the Cleveland area. Uh, he pastored in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and he's currently in Canton, Ohio. Uh, my mother is probably the most bubbliest exciting, you know, encouraging person that I know. In fact, yesterday, she sent me a text message. She actually sends all us kids a text message saying, hey, you'd be so proud of us. We're in New York City, and we found our way home. Isn't that exciting? That, that's my mother, okay? That, she's very encouraging, very bubbly, very exciting. Yes, that, her name is Melinda. So if you're feeling down, feel free to, like, talk with me. I'll give you her number. You can, you can call, and she'll make you feel real better, okay? She's that type of person. Uh, then there's me, um, the oldest and um, you guys know a little bit about me, but as far as like my style when it came to discipline, uh, my parents would draw a line, you know, like, okay, don't do this. And my style, maybe the firstborn is, I would walk over that line and do one of these things. That's what you could do about it. Uh, I lost every single time. Uh, I was a little more the stubborn type, the little more defiant type. Uh, do we have any of those type of individuals here? Who's one of the more stubborn, defiant types? Yes, God's grace is good for even you. Isn't that great? Good for even you guys. If he can work in my life, he can work in your life. So, okay, we have some of those types. Well, the second born uh, is my sister, Marianne, and uh, she works at Schmuckers. 
Uh, they do the jams, the jellies. The, she's a customer service rep uh, for there. Uh, her style is, is like when my parents would draw a line, she would get close to the line, and my parents would give her like a dirty look, and then she should start crying. And she was repentant. Why are you laughing? She was repentant, and she was remorseful, and she, she would turn away. She would repent real quick. Do we have any of, of the Marianne's out there who are like, you know, they're repentant, you're remorseful. When you get close to doing you get your hand caught in the cookie jar. You're sorry instantaneous. Do we have anyone out there like that? Yes, we have a couple. We have a couple. Okay, very good. I'm interested to see if there's anyone like the third one, my brother Anthony. So Anthony is three years after that, so there's six years difference between myself and my brother Anthony. Uh, we call him Tony. Uh, Tony, he works for Goodyear um, in Akron, uh, Ohio, the rubber capital of the year. Uh, he's a sales rep. He's going to be moving south here to the Florida, California, uh, Tennessee area, probably one of those three locations. And uh, Tony, his nickname was The Weasel. Uh, because my parents would draw a line, don't do this, and he would like flirt with the line, then they'd look at him, then he'd take his foot back, then they'd turn around, then he'd put his, you know, you know, foot back. He was always, he was the instigator. So our family was big up praying, you know, during our, our family meals times, and so uh, we'd pray together as a family, we'd hold hands, and my brother, almost every single time, whatever was on the table, he'd grab, like if there's mashed potatoes, or a hot dog, or carrot, and as we're about to pray, he's going to try to stick it in my hand, or slide it on my pants, and instigate me to rebel, and try to hit him, and then I'd get in trouble, and then as I'm walking up to my room, he'd just give a sly like, yeah, that was me. The weasel. Do we have any weasels in the room today? I see one person pointing over there. That's my father-in-law. That could be a real interesting conversation later. Any other weasels out there? Any other weasels? Okay, there's... Weasels don't want to admit it. You know, they're gonna, they're, they try to go behind, you know. So we have the weasel. Then there's my youngest brother, Joey, uh, Joe Jr. Um, my mom, actually, after Tony had a miscarriage three years after that, and then continued the process as if there's a kid. So three years after that, there's Joey. So there's six years in between each boy. Um, and so Joey, um, I jokingly call, he's the, he's the second sister I never had, um, you know, because we had boy, girl, boy. Oh. Boy, sorry. So, but uh, Joey, uh, very talented musically. He actually uh, does a lot of DJing. He's a sophomore at Kent State University in business, and he was the compliant one. Okay, so that line is drawn. He's he's not gonna he's not gonna step over there. He's like, that's cool. I'll go with it. So he's the go with the flow, compliant, last born type. Is there any of those around here? That yeah, the goody two shoes. All right, there we go. We got some goody. We got some goody t-shirts. It's, it, it's amazing how out of one womb, you know, four different people, different personalities and uh, can exist. And so uh, it's so cool to, to see what God has done. I'm so thankful for, for the family that God placed me in. Uh, fast forward a little bit. Uh, my current family, uh, I'm married to a wonderful gal named Kim. We've been married for the last couple of years, and our family is going to be expanding here. Uh, we found out that, that she was pregnant in, in March, and so we are, we are excited. Quick background story on there. Um, in early March, uh, we, uh, my wife was having some physiological issues, so she, she called and talked with a couple close friends uh, to start praying, and we actually talked with a doctor. He said, yeah, we would like to you know, have you come in. It's, it's enough that we want to have an appointment. Well, two, three weeks after that, um, I was out doing some schooling in the D.C. area, came back, and she's like, hey, something's different. Took a pregnancy test and found out that she's pregnant. And so we can trace back the time when people started praying for us, our prayer warriors, that God intervened and he blessed us. 
And no coincidence that our baby's due date is November 26th, which, oh, just so happens to be Thanksgiving Day. And so we're really, really thankful. We actually had a doctor's appointment here this past Thursday. Uh, They did like an ultrasound, and we found out that we're having a baby girl. And so we're really, really excited. Yeah, thanks. Just want to, I just want to let you know that I bought a bunch of extra tissues and some of those type of things because I know this could get you know a lot of drama and crying. All that. That's joking. No, we're we're we're, we're thrilled. Uh, what, what God has blessed us, and so uh, take time today uh, with your family and, and thank God for them because every person's a miracle from the Lord. And just spend some time uh, thanking God for the individual people that He has put into your life. We'll be kind of wrapping some things up in the Familyhood series, and uh, we're going to be talking about how your family can make a mark in your neighborhood, how your family can be a light uh, to your community. Uh, If you could open up your bulletins and take out this bulletin insert, and uh, some of you guys might, you might not take notes because you're so good at remembering everything. You're not even, you don't even take notes. Some of you guys might be hardcore note takers and you take notes on the front side and the back side. This is what I want you guys to do. There's two sides. There's a front and a back side. Take notes on one side and on the other side, whatever you're choosing is, you're going to make a diagram of your community. And so this is what I want you to do. I want you to draw maybe a little stick figure of your house, whatever that is. And I want you to put your last name by that house. So make a little stick figure at the center on, on that bulletin insert and put your name, your last name, because that's the community, that's the neighborhood in which you're trying to reach people. And so throughout the sermon, I'm going to be kind of pointing back to that, give you some time to kind of talk, to doodle, to kind of walk through and make the, your neighborhood. So make a house and then uh, put your last name underneath there. So we're talking a little bit about how we can make a mark in our neighborhood uh, for Jesus, how our family uh, can be involved in the community to be a light to our neighbors. To see how we can do that, let me encourage you uh, to turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 17, uh, verses 26 and 27. If you don't have a Bible, uh, let me encourage you to raise your hand. Our ushers in the main and the link, they'd be more than happy to place a Bible in your hand. If you don't have a Bible, uh, this Bible is our gift from Grace Community Church to you. So turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17, and we're going to be picking it up in verses 26 and verses 27. Will you please stand with me in the Manda link, and we're going to read this out loud together. Acts 17, 26, and 27. Here we go. Ready? Read. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. You may be seated. I believe this with all my heart. I believe God has called for you to live in a specific neighborhood. There are no second-class neighbors. There are no second-class neighbors. If you look at that passage again, look at the very beginning of verse 26. 
Paul here is talking, he's talking to a bunch of Greek philosophers, and he's given a case for why uh, the God of the Bible is the one true God. And he says this, he says, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. From one man, from Adam, uh, he made all the nations, and there was multiplication. Uh, this, this is basically what he's saying. He's actually taking a stab at the Greek philosophers. See, Greeks believe that if you weren't, weren't a Greek, you were a second-class citizen. Uh, you were kind of bar- barbaric in nature. And so what, what, what Paul's saying is, is that uh, from Adam, he created everyone. And everybody here has worth. They have value. They have meaning because they're created in the image of God. And so you're created in the image of God, and your neighbor's created in the image of God. They have value. They have worth. Uh, we need to do what we can to be an encouragement to them. There are no second-class citizens when it comes to people. Everyone uh, is is of value to God. Uh, you might be thinking to yourself, I think a lot of times in the United States, we can get very individualistic, we can kind of get snooty, and we're like, my neighbor, I think I'm, I'm better than they are. If you're too good for your neighbor, then I believe that you're, t- you're too good for God. If you believe that you're too good for your neighbor, then what you're saying is, I'm too good for God. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says the word became flesh and blood. Jesus became flesh and blood, and he came and he dwelt in our neighborhood. So Jesus, he gave up the zip code. His zip code was 77777, and he turned it into 46526. He went from heaven to earth. He gave up a, a life in heaven to come down to earth and to, to be amongst us and to ultimately to die for us. And he came, and he actually came to the lowliest of neighborhoods. He, he, he was in some of the darkest uh, places. First of all, he, he was born in Bethlehem. Um, if you ever get an opportunity to tour the Holy Lands, I'd encourage you to do so. So many years ago, I had an opportunity to do so. If you go into Bethlehem today, uh, there is a wall around the city of Bethlehem. It's only a couple miles from Jerusalem. It's about 30 to 40 feet high. If you're born in Bethlehem, you can't get out of Bethlehem. You have to stay there your entire life. All you know is about this two-mile radius. Uh, the reason is because it's under Palestinian control, and it is a very hard and dark place. It was hard and dark then. It's hard. It was hard and dark uh, in Jesus's day. He came to a really hard, dark, desolate, godless neighborhood. And then he moved to Nazareth. And Nazareth was a really hard, dark, desolate type of neighborhood. So much so that when Jesus got older, he became a teenager. And people asked him where he was from. He said, Nazareth. They said, Nothing good can come from Nazareth. Like, dude, you were born on the wrong side of the tracks, man. You're in the wrong neighborhood. Uh, There's no way that anything good, you know, you can be who you say you are. Jesus came to the darkest places, and he resided. That was his neighborhood. No matter what neighborhood you're in, no matter what community you're in, God is there. You have an opportunity to be a light. There's no second-class citizens. No matter what neighbor you're, you're by, there's, there's no such thing as a second-class citizen because they're valuable to God. We live in an unprecedented, unprecedented time in the United States history. Unprecedented time. Uh, do you realize that our country, United States of America, is the number one country out of all countries that sends missionaries out? So we're sending the most missionaries out out of the United States, but we're the number three country that receives missionaries. People are actually looking at the United States of America as a mission field because we, uh, as believers in Christ, are not doing a good job in loving our neighbors. 
And so we're not reaching specific demographic groups. And, and other countries are sending missionaries to the United States. Uh, take a look at Alcourt County, for example. Um, I, I have a good, uh, good friend. Uh, she works as part of our youth team, as part of our youth staff. Uh, she told me that today, Goshen schools, uh, this last year was the first time uh, that the, the majority of Goshen schools, now 51% is made up of Hispanic students. If you go to Elkhart City and a lot of the surrounding areas, the demographics of Elkhart County are changing. It's a lot different than 20, 30 years ago. So the question is, is that what are we going to do with these, demog- with these demographics? Are we going to run and flee from people? Or are we going to love our Neighbors, I don't know about you, but I'm excited to see what God is going to do as he's bringing the nations to our doorsteps. We have different countries, different people, and they're right at our doorstep, and they are our neighbors. I'm excited about that. Is anyone else excited about reaching those type of people? Anyone? Three people? Amen. All right. I believe this. I believe that you cannot love your brother across the world if you do not love your neighbor across the street. You can't love your brother across the world if you do not love your neighbor across the street. It doesn't make sense. Uh, our, our lead pastor, Pastor Jim, he, he's currently over in Asia, and uh, he's loving on, um, we have two orphanages, he's loving on some orphan, widow, I mean, some orphan uh, girls that we've loved. Uh, but it doesn't make sense if he's going to do that if we're going to turn our backs on our neighbors next door. You, you, can't, you can't love your brother, uh, your, your brother across the world if we do not love our neighbor across the street. God is calling for you uh, to be a light in your community. He's calling for you to be a light in the community in the same way he called the nation of Israel to be a light uh, for him. In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, uh, God says this. He said, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach out to the ends of the earth. So he chose the nation of Israel in the Old Testament to be a light for him. Some of you might be thinking, okay, how in the world did he choose the nation of Israel? First of all, why did he choose the nation of Israel? But how, in, how were they a light to all the nations? Like, what does that mean? Uh, we're going to put up a, a quick map uh, of where Israel is located. Israel is located in the Middle East. And it, if you look at the name Middle East, there's a, there's a key component. It's the word middle, right? It's in the middle of basically geographically of everything. So if you were a traveler in the Old Testament and you were in Asia and you wanted to get to Africa, where'd you have to travel? You have to go through the Middle East. If you're in Europe and you want to go to Asia, you had to get through the Middle East. Uh, travelers in ancient times, they had to travel through the Middle East. And when people would go through the nation of Israel, they would hear about Yeshua, they'd hear about Yahweh, they'd hear about God, and they'd have an opportunity to accept God as Savior. Israel is a light to the nations. It, it, God has specifically put them geographically in the center of the world. If you look at our news, well, our news is focused a lot of times, at least our worldly news, is on what's happening in the Middle East. And so God wants to make you a light directionally in your community. So wherever you're located, wherever your house is located, you're, you're in the middle, you're the epicenter of where God wants you. That's your Middle East. You have people to the north of you, to the east of you, to the west of you, and to the south of you. And God has called you to be a light there. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Uh, This verse was written to those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. When other people see us as a light, 
even people who don't know Jesus, they'll notice that something's different. There'll be some type of disequilibrium or some like, type of curiosity, and they may one day come into a relationship with Jesus and glorify our Father in heaven. Wherever your house is located, it's at the center community of where God wants you to be. We're called to be a light in the community. Do you ever realize, uh, ever, or ever watch like a, a, one of those bug zappers? You know what I'm talking about? It's kind of fun to watch them, right? It's dark out and the light's going and what are the bugs doing? They're going straight for the zapper, right? So if there's light in darkness, it attracts bugs. If there's light in a dark world, it attracts people. We are all called to be lights in the world. I'm going to pull out. This is a small flashlight. It's not big. Not a big flashlight, but God has called us to be a light. And wherever you're located, we're we're called to be a lighthouse. Do people in your community know where to find hope? If if you go to the north, the west, the south, the east of your home, when people drive by, do they look at your place as a beacon of hope? Just like a lighthouse flashes, we live in a dark and desolate world. Do people that live to the east, the west, the south, and the north, do they see your house as a lighthouse, lighthouse, as a beacon of hope? You can turn the lights back on. There are no second-class neighbors, and if, if we think we're too good for our neighbors, then ultimately we're too good for God. Is your house a lighthouse? It's at the epicenter of where God wants you to be. When people drive by, they see your place as a place of hope. I also believe this. I believe God has purposefully given you your neighbors, whether you want to believe it or admit it or not. He has purposefully given you your neighbors. Look at Acts 17 again, the second part. It says, God and he, he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. So God, he appointed not only when you should be born and when you should live, but also the exact place where you live. So it's like he spun the globe and said, I want you to live in Goshen, Indiana, New Paris, Indiana, Middlebury, Indiana, Syracuse, Indiana. And he he chose the exact location, the boundaries of your lands, the house that you own, the apartment that you live in. He, He determined all of that. This is what I want you to do. I want you to pull out your little diagram here. You should have a picture of your house and your name on it. Let me encourage you to start filling that in. Maybe draw your, uh, your street. Draw s- some houses that are next door to you. Uh, write the names of some of the people that you know, the families that you know, some of the kids that you know. Write down some prayer requests that you know. And here's the goal. Uh, if you don't know the names of some of the people that live next door to you, what does that mean? means we got some work to do, right? But start writing down or and coloring the homes that way we can be on mission for him. So you might be thinking to yourself, okay, Pastor Dan, this is all cool. You know, God has purposely given our neighbors, but what, why is that such a big deal in, this, in the grand scheme of things? Why is that such a, such a big deal to God? Uh, let me encourage you to turn with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 22. We're going to look a little bit at why, why it's such a big deal to God. Matthew chapter 22, the first book in the New Testament, and... Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 36 to 40. Why, why, why is it such a big deal? The Pharisees, the experts in the law, they come to Jesus and they say, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Here's the background of what's happening here. Uh, These experts in the law, these Jewish Pharisees, they're asking Jesus, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And they would have all these like discussions about this. Do you know how many Old Testament laws there were in the Old Testament? A lot of them. 613 laws. 613. Now God gave Adam and Eve how many laws? One, and they broke it. So try to think about, you know, keeping 613. So they would make this list of 613 laws, and they would ask, they would have these debates. Which one is the greatest? Which one do you think is the most powerful? Which one, you know? And so they ask Jesus, and they're trying to trick Jesus and say, uh, you know, which side are you taking? You know what our God does. He doesn't want to tell him number one. He tells him number two. Let me tell you the top two, okay? He says the top one is what? Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love love others. That's what he boils it down to. And if we love others, it's expression and reflection of our love for God. You can't lo- if, you, if you're not loving your neighbor, then ultimately you don't, don't love God is what he's saying. And so my question is, is, are we a church who understands the purpose that God has given us and are we loving our neighbors? Uh, how about this? Instead of complaining about what you don't have, How about you use what you do have for God's glory? We live in a very individualistic, materialistic type of society. And uh, I don't know, I mean, there's some neighborhoods, it's kind of competitive. Like if your neighbor, like gets a new truck, like you have to up them. Like I have to get a better truck, you know, I got to get a 2015. Or if your neighbor gets a basketball hoop for their kids and you feel you have to get a better basketball hoop with a a glass, you know, backboard. We live in this very individualistic, materialistic society. What if we stop complaining about what we don't have? And use what we do have for God's glory. He's determined not only when we should be born and raised, but also where. That includes the stuff that we have. And so if God has given you a front yard and a backyard, or just a front yard, you can use that for his glory. If God has given you a grill, you can use that and invite people over for his glory. If God has given you a TV, you can have people over and use that for his glory. If you are really mechanical and you can fix things, God has given that so you can use it for his glory. Stop complaining about what you don't have and use what you do have for his glory. Case in point, uh, my dad was a church planter in uh, northeast Ohio in the Cleveland area. And uh, a church planter obviously didn't have a real big salary. The congregation was like 30 or 40 people. And uh, uh, their front yard wasn't very big but he wanted to use it for God's glory. And so there's a bunch of kids, neighborhood kids that were around. And so we'd have like 20, 25 kids my age. And we play this game called Rundown. Uh, it's real simple. You have a person here and a person here, and we, they throw a tennis ball back and forth to each other. And then you have bases here. And the goal was to try to steal these bases. So everyone would be on one base and they're trying to steal, you know, steal a base. Well, I don't know if you realize this, especially with kids, uh, if they're going to play a game and play it over and over again, they always play it in the same spot. Did you ever realize that? Like, this is like, you know, holy ground or something. So what happens when you get 20, 25 kids playing in one spot in your front yard for like a week or two on, on end? It starts wearing a dirt path in the front yard. And so in our community, there's like, oh, nice front yard, nice front yard. Wow. Like a huge dirt path. Um, but we, we wanted to use our stuff. For, it's just stuff at the end of the day. For God's glory. At the end of the day, we started actually having um, evangelism programs in our backyard, trying to reach these kids that we we had attracted. And it's a dirt path in your front yard, but if it's bringing people closer to Jesus, that's ultimately what what matters. What do you have? What stuff do you have in which you can be a blessing to people? What are some things that you are holding on to that you can that you can help and be a blessing to those who are around you? 
Some of you might be saying this to yourself. Okay, Pastor Dan, I, you got some good stuff going on here, but you don't know my neighbors. Like, I mean, if you had to live where I lived, you wouldn't be saying stuff, such stuff. I mean, my neighbors, they're loud and their kids are disrespectful and they, their, their music's on late at night. I mean, you don't know my neighbors. God's given us a couple of commands. Number one, love your neighbor. Number another one is love your enemy. Isn't it crazy that sometimes it's the same person? Like your neighbor's your enemy? But here's the cool thing. You can check it off the box. You can do two commands at one time by loving your neighbor and loving someone that, that you feel is against you. In other words, you be the initiator. Don't be the instigator. Be the initiator and do what it takes to be a peacemaker between what's going on in your neighbors. Don't be like a person. And I was reading through some blogs and some internet things. Don't be like this person. Their neighbor came over at 2.30 in the morning and knocked on his door. Now, can you imagine that? 2.30 in the morning, like your neighbor's knocking at 2.30 in the morning. I can't believe that. Uh, but he posted, luckily for him, I was playing my drums, so I was able to get the door. It's supposed to be a joke. In other words, that's the reason why the neighbor came over, because he was playing the drums. Don't, don't be the instigator. Be the initiator. Do what it takes to have peace between you and your neighbors. And on top of that, Psalm chapter 16, verse 6 says this. This is King David. He said the boundary lines. God has given us appointed times. He's, he's marked out the exact places where we should live. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. So it's a recognition that God has put me exactly where he wants me. And if I'm at the center of God's will, that's where I need to be. If this is maybe a neighborhood that might be a little hard or might be a little more difficult or have some issues with it, that's, that's where God wants me to be. And it's a pleasant place. I want to be in a rougher place if it's God's will um, because you'll have the peace and the presence of God strong in your life. I believe this as well. If you make a mark in your neighborhood as a family, it will not only save the souls of your neighbors, but it will save the souls of your family as well. It will save the souls of your family as well. If you look back to Acts chapter 17... It says this, Acts 17, verse 27, it says, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. So why did God appoint specific times and places for people to live? It says, so that people would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. So God is giving you the specific family you are, the specific area you are, so that people would ultimately come to him. But it starts with your family. On that little diagram, that little sheet that you have, hopefully you have your house with your last name on it. Hopefully you have some homes in your neighborhood. Uh, on, next to your house, I want you to write your family's name. In other words, the people, the names of the people that are in your home. So anyone living in your household, will you take some time and write their names and maybe some prayer requests that they have? Because ultimately, when you're starting to reach other people, it starts with your family because your kids are going to realize that Jesus is really important to you. So take some time and write the names of the people that are living within your household. I'm going to be very bold with you guys. I feel like I can be bold with you guys. We live in Elkhart County. I believe this. I believe that Christians sometimes can be like manure. I believe Christians can be like manure. You get us in a big pile and what happens? 
we stink. But if you spread us out throughout the earth, you spread us on the ground, we can fertilize the soil. So don't get in your holy huddles. Don't just hang around with all your Christian friends. Love your neighbors. Love people who don't need Jesus. Otherwise, you'll stink. Don't be a stinky Christian. Fertilize the ground. Fertilize the earth. Don't be a stinky Christian. There's more at stake than just, than just your neighbor's lives. Your, your kids' lives are at stake as well. When you live your life on mission with your family, uh, it'll impact not only your community, but it'll impact your family as well. You'll be training your kids, your grandkids, to have a hunger and thirst for Jesus Christ. Uh, let me share real quick a little bit about how I came to know Jesus. Uh, my dad was a church planner while I was, when I was younger in the Cleveland, Ohio area, and he got a phone call from a family who desperately, desperately needed some food. And so he, he, him and my mother, they scrounged around some money, they bought him some food, and they went... And they, 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 had a, they dropped the food off. And so my dad brought little Danny Constantino with him. And so my dad gave this, this family some food and uh, got to talk with them and pray with them and encourage them. He talked for two or three hours and he explained the gospel message to them. Uh, and they didn't come into a relationship with Jesus that day. But on the way home, little Danny Constantino sitting in the back seat started asking my dad, I was like, hey, dad. Basically what happened is my father led me to the Lord in the back of his vehicle and the reason why I came into a relationship with Jesus is because Jesus was important to my dad, and he took the command loving your neighbor so seriously. See, your kids and your grandkids' lives are at stake. And when you try to reach out to your neighbors, they will see that you're a person who takes their faith seriously. They'll see that you're a person who takes serving people seriously on a mission seriously, and it will make a difference in their life. Because my father reached out, it impacted me. So get your family Stop watching Netflix and start serving together. It will make all of the difference. Your family won't come to Jesus if they don't see that Jesus is important to you. Your family won't come to, see, to Jesus if they don't see Jesus is important to you. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says this. He says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Watch what you do, and also watch what you uh, watch what you do, and your doctor. Watch what you say closely. Persevere, work hard in it, because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers, the people that are under you. It's interesting. It says, "Watch your life and your doctrine closely." Which one comes first, life or doctrine? Your life comes first in that passage. In other words, people are going to follow what you do way more than what you say. Things are more caught than they are taught. And if you have a heart for Jesus, your kids will catch it as well. Unbelievers, people who don't know Jesus, judge the genuineness and value of our faith more by our living than by our theology. It's what we say and do that will make all of the difference. One of my favorite and fondest memories with my parents is uh, my dad had a burden for his community, and he'd actually go door to door. He'd go to parks, just talking with people, uh, encouraging people, getting to know them. And uh, he'd take me along with them. And uh, he instilled in me a passion uh, to really have a heart for, for lost people. Some of you might be thinking, okay, that's cool, Dan, whatevs, you know, like uh, I can be a Christian without reaching my neighbor. Philemon verse 1 6 says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. So if we're active in sharing our faith, then only then will we have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. You can't be a mature believer in Jesus Christ if you're not reaching out to your neighbors. Because once you start reaching your neighbors, you're going to be like, you're going to learn what you believe and why you believe it. You might even get mocked, get persecuted a little bit. Uh, 
Only then can you have a mature faith in Jesus Christ. Are we as a church going to do what it takes and grab our families together and to serve other people? I believe this. Church is a place where we get refreshed and re-energized, but you'll learn more about God outside these walls. Where do you learn about how to reach people? Is it going to be in these walls? It's going to be out of these walls. How do you learn about how to have the peace of God? It's in your daily life when you're struggling outside these walls. You'll learn more outside these walls than, uh, than inside these walls. Some of you might be thinking, okay, Pastor Dan, you're right. But it's hard. Like, uh, I'm an introvert. Like, I don't do that type of thing. Like, it's really difficult for me to want to walk across the street and talk with my neighbor or be a blessing to someone. That, that's really hard. Well, Paul knows this, and he, he closes in, the, in, in verse 27. He said, why did God put people in specific spots so that people would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him? And he says this, though, though he, God, is not far from any of us. See, God is not far from others because he lives in us. God is not far from your neighbors because within 30, 40, 50 feet away, there you are, and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You may be the closest thing to Jesus that anyone knows or sees. That might be you. The pastor says God is not far from any of us, but he's near to us. It's a picture of God holding out his hand. And the Bible says we are the hands and feet of God. You are the closest thing uh, to having a relationship with Jesus that maybe your neighbors will ever have. Will you do what it takes to reach them? So many times we go home, we do this kind of wave waiver, right? The casual, hey, what's up? Well, instead of doing this wave, why don't you do this wave? It's still a wave, right? This is just hi, whatevs. It's good to see you. This is, hey, I want to I I get to know you. Come over, I'm grilling some burgers. Come over, let's watch the football game. Let's watch the Steelers beat the Bears or anything like that. Come on over. I want to build a relationship with you. Last quick story. Uh, my parents were in, in the Hershey, Pennsylvania area. And uh, as you can tell, we, we did our best to really to love our neighbors. We only had one, like, neighbor next door. We lived out in the country in some country road. We had a neighbor, and uh, they, they had a couple boys. One was a couple years younger than I was, and the other one was you know, a couple years younger than that. And so our family would do all kinds of things with this family. You know, the boys would come over, and they'd eat with us, and we, you know, we basically adopted them. We actually, you know, would give them our last name, jokingly. I mean, th- we wanted to do whatever it took to, to reach them. Well, after four or five years of doing that, um, uh, I was playing a card game with one of them, and uh, I said, I thought the Holy Spirit prompted me as a teen to say, hey, wh- where do you stand, man? I said, hey, you know, our family's really passionate about Jesus. We care uh, about you. Wh- where do you stand your walk with God? And uh, we had a good conversation, and then I asked him, would you, would you like to accept Christ? And there was a, a minute of awkward silence, two minutes of awkward silence, three minutes because the wheels were turning, and his soul, his life was in the balance. And after five minutes, he said, Dan, you're right. I, I need to accept Christ my Savior. Prayed with him to accept the Lord. Here's the cool thing. Now, this was just me as a teen and a youngster. He's still walking with the Lord. He's doing well. You guys have an awesome opportunity to reach the people in your neighborhood. Can you imagine if everybody in this room, everyone who went to Grace Community Church was a lighthouse? Can you, remember, can you imagine how many lights would be flashing? 
people from the northwest, east, and south of you would know your home to be a place where they could get hope. Can you imagine what God would do if we would do that? That diagram that I gave you, this is your, your map. This is, where, this is your mission field. And if you don't have like your neighbor's name down, looks like you guys got some work to do. Let's be a church that will do what it takes to reach people. But not only that, pull your family into it. Because it's not only your neighbor's lives at stakes, it's your kids and your grandkids. Their lives are at stake as well. Hey, can I ask you to do me a quick favor? Grab that diagram that you have and wave in there. I would love to pray. These are our communities. This is our neighbors. This is where you're living, and this is where you're going to be like, I would love to pray over these that God would give you a boldness, that God would give you a creativity that you could reach the neighborhood kids and the people in your neighborhood for Jesus. Let's be a church that does that because your families will learn what it means to serve, to be on mission, and it will make a difference in their lives and in your neighborhood's life. Well, everyone hold those up. I'd like to pray for you guys. Let's pray for these communities, these neighborhoods. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I pray for everyone in this room that you would give them a boldness, a creativity unlike any other. These are a lot of neighborhoods, a lot of communities who desperately need the gospel message. There are a lot of little kids in here. There are a lot of people from maybe different ethnic groups. Give us the courage to walk across the street, to invite them over, to get to know them, uh, to use the things that you have gifted us in and to be a blessing to them. God, we pray for our family members that we would uh, pull them into this, that they would see the joy of serving, they see the joy of living on mission, that you would see, that we would see a revival in Goshen unlike any other. And it starts with people trying to reach their neighbor. We, I can't wait to hear, God, what you could do in this next week and excited to see what you could do in our community of Goshen. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Hey, keep these, put these in the Bible. Build off them. Pray with, pray over them. Uh, fill them up. Don't just throw this piece of paper out. This is your mission field. Have an awesome week. Don't eat too much funnel cake at the fair. You guys are dismissed. See you next Sunday.